morning, good morning. How are you guys doing? All right. So we're coming close to the end of our series here as next week is our last sermon in this series of Foundations uh, before we head into the Advent season, as, as Rich has mentioned. Um, but today we're going to be un- unpacking the small topic of grace. See, grace is a word that in church circles is very familiar to us. It's thrown around a lot. In fact, in the New Testament, Paul uses the word grace about 100 times. The reason why Paul writes about grace is because this is a new grace that the church is experiencing. It's a grace of salvation. It's a grace that Jesus has died on the cross. And so Paul talks about grace because he needs to explain in this relatively new time for the church what this concept actually is. Oftentimes we associate grace as a New Testament concept. However, grace has been around since the beginning of time alongside justice and mercy. And much of God's and grace is much of God's character. But it is on full display in the New Testament through the man of Jesus, which brings us to what we believe here today. So, what is grace? Well, as a kid, when people talked about grace, my association to grace was that prayer before you eat, you know? Some people talk about, have grace. I'm just like, are we eating? <laughs> like, what's going on here? Like, you, you tell me about grace that, where there's no food. But grace isn't just that. Grace is, in its simplest form, it is God's undeserved favor towards sinner. It's God's unmerited good intentions, his loving disposition towards us, as Ephesians 2 puts it, that we are dead in our sins and by nature children of wrath. Paul defines it in Ephesians 1. He says this. This is the the Good News translation. It says, for by the blood of Christ we are set free. That is, our sins are forgiven. How great is the grace of God which he gave to us in such large measures. So over the past two weeks, we, we, we touched on some pretty big subjects. We talked about justice and mercy, and we learned that justice of God will come, that it is in our sin that, the, that justice will come, and the, the result of our sin is death. It's not that complicated. We like to complicate things because we don't like the, the, the consequences of sin, but the result of sin and the consequence of sin is death. That every day that we live, we come closer to the reality of God's justice in our lives. This is what Alex referred to as mishpat. But God, in his kindness, he gave us what? He gave us mercy. In James 2, he writes that mercy triumphs over justice. That in the center of justice and righteousness is mercy. And because that he has shown us this mercy, we are to show mercy. This is the kindness of God, that God's mercy triumphs over justice, but it's through the grace of God. So this is what we're going to unpack this morning. And so as we go into it, let's pray, and we're going to get into it. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, so much that we have the freedom and the ability to come and worship you, and Lord, we don't take that for granted. Lord, that we could come together as a church and as your people lift up our worship to you. Father God, we just ask for your spirit to come through. We ask that that we set the 
a foundation in our lives, not just here at the church, but in our lives for your grace to manifest through our lives. So, Father God, as we look into Scripture, as we look into what this concept of grace is, Lord, may you give us grace in understanding. So, Lord, we thank you. We come and we pour out our blessing to you. We give you our best and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's this term called sola gratia. It is one of the five solas of the Protestant Reformation that is central to the doctrines of justification and salvation. This is when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis onto the door, and he's like, this is what we believe in and what started the Protestant movement. Within that aspect of sola gratia comes along four other solas, which is summarized like this. It's summarized by a sinner is justified by grace alone, sola gratia, through faith alone, sola fide, for the sake of Christ alone, sola Christus, a truth revealed to us in scripture alone, sola scriptura, bringing glory to God alone, soli dio gloria. That is the five solas that, that the church rests ourselves on. This is what it's all about. And the first thing that's there is what? Grace. Within the Latin word gratia is the word gratis, in which we see in, 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 in our service industry sometimes. When we get something that is, oh, gratis, we know that, oh, that's, that's good. Because it's free, it's complimentary, right? You go to the hotel, you go to a fancy restaurant, and all of a sudden on the bill, there's one item that says gratis. You're like, oh, that feels so good. But what does this word mean, gratis? The Latin word for gratis means favor. And so when we look at that word, we look at gratia, it is literally the favor of God, something that is given to us, a free gift. Ephesians 2, it says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is what? The gift of God. It is a gift. Grace is a gift. Grace is the foundation of our salvation. Everything that we build our church on, everything that this is about, everything that we, the reason why we're sitting here today is because of grace. It's nothing that we earn. It's nothing that we deserve, and it is freely given. This is God's ultimate story with humanity, that even, through human, even though humanity turned away from God, that God is gracious and compassionate. I always used to think as a kid, in the Garden of Eden, as Adam and Eve had sinned, and as sin entered into humanity, God's justice could have played out instantly. God could have just said, sin came, result of sin, death. Why didn't God just do that and just hit the reset button and do it all over again? Why didn't God just say, hmm, that didn't go the way I planned for it to go. Let's try this again. You see, sin separated us from God's compassion. Sin separated us, but God's compassion and grace extended to mankind. And so death was therefore delayed. This is what we know as common grace. What is common grace? Common grace is that even though humanity is totally depraved and deserving of God's wrath, God mercifully postpones his destroying wrath and graciously blesses all men, even apart from salvation. Common grace includes all undeserved blessing, 
that natural man receives from the hand of God. So things like rain, the sun, prosperity, health, happiness, natural capacities and gifts, sins being restrained. The doctrine of common grace explains how a man can be totally depraved and yet still commit, commit acts that are in some sense good. So the ability to live a good life separate from God is being a part of that common grace. Everyone gets to experience it. However, the favor of God is not in it because the favor of God comes with the freedom from sin. That we are set free from judgment and the justice of God and we are no longer subjugated to the bondages of sin. This is what we as Christians here believe today. That right here is the act of Jesus on the cross. And when Jesus was on that cross, trust me, Jesus, when he was dying on that cross, heaven's armies were ready. They were ready to end it all. If Jesus, they're, just, they're looking down from heaven and saying, Jesus, just say the word and we'll end it all today. You don't have to go through this. But Jesus responded as heaven's armies were watching, observing this act that Jesus was doing on the cross. Jesus responded by Father, forgive them. That is the ultimate act of grace. Instead of him saying, you know what, I can't handle this, I can't do this. We understand that Jesus is the son of God. He had the power to save himself. He had the ability to just take himself off the cross and said, no, I'm done. This is it. He could have called heaven's armies to rain down on earth and that was, everything would have been done. But out of his compassion and grace, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. That is the biggest act of grace that we have ever seen in the history of mankind. He said, Jesus essentially said, forgive them, Father. Let your wrath come towards me. Let my death pay for their death and my righteousness go to them. The favor of God, the fullness of grace was in that moment poured out for all to receive. I could stand here and just talk about grace. I could stand here and, and try to define what grace is, but grace is one of those things that I can't really explain. I feel like nobody really could explain it. We have it in the Bible. We have a, de a description of it in the Bible, but we can't explain it because we can't explain it for us to understand until we experience it for ourselves. Grace requires an experience. Paul talks about grace throughout his letter, letters. However, Jesus, as John writes, who is full of grace, never once used the word grace. Instead, Jesus gave people the experience of grace, and it is in these stories that, of grace that we understand what grace is. It's like this. It's like romantic love. When you fall in love, the feeling that you get, you can't really explain. A scientist could explain all the hormonal things that happens and the endorphins that are released and everything that, that comes along with it, but you don't understand what romantic love is until you fall in love. It doesn't capture the fullness of it. I could tell you, when you fall in love, like when I love my wife, every time I see her, I'm filled with joy. Every time she smiles at me, it makes me blush. Every time she holds my hands, I still get the excitement and the feelings of butterflies in my stomach. I could tell you all of that. But unless you fall in love, you won't know what it's like. The same it is with grace. 
unless you experience grace, you won't know what it is. Grace is the stories of the Bible. There's this rule in hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is, is the interpretation of Scripture in which you don't just pay attention to what is said, but also how it's said and that the genre matters. The genre of grace is story, where it isn't explained but conveyed through story. So in the life and ministry of Jesus, grace is spilled out everywhere through these stories. And we are captured by these stories because we long for it to be our story in which we relate to in understanding grace. In Matthew 8, there's a story of Jesus and a leper. Now you see leprosy is one of those diseases where in the early church they didn't quite understand it. But what they did know that is that leprosy is extremely contagious and those that were lepers were seen as unclean and untouchable. That leprosy was a curse for, people's sin, for the people's sins that they have committed. And when you touch them, that that will come upon you. That was the belief behind leprosy. So lepers were actually instructed by the priest to live off in a leper colony by themselves, away from the city. That if anybody came near them within six feet, they had to ring a bell and say, I'm unclean. That's how lepers were treated. And in this story, Jesus comes down from the mountain and there's a great crowd that was following him. And a leper came to him and before him saying, Lord, if you will it, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as proof to them. There's one thing I want to point out here. Yes, there's a miracle that happened. The miracle shows the power of Jesus. But before the miracle, there was grace. Because Jesus reached out his hands and did what? He touched him. Jesus could have in that moment stepped back and say, I could heal you and my power is extended and I could just say, you're healed. But Jesus didn't do that. He saw that this man was a leper. He was an untouchable person. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. That is the grace of God coming upon that man. All of a sudden, this speaks a message that is no longer about just the power of miracle, but about God's forgiveness coming onto this man. That this touch that Jesus performed showed this man that I am loved, that I am cared for, that I am above my disease, that I am above my sin, that God has come and he has touched my life. First, before the miracle happened, that we first experience the grace of God before the power of God. We experience the grace of God before the miracles of God. That's what the story teaches us. It's stories like these that draw us to who Jesus is. It's the stories like these that bring us closer to wanting to know and receive this gift of grace. In the Bible, there's also a story of this adulterous woman that's caught in the act caught in the act of adultery. They drag him out literally from the bed. He, she's covered in nothing but a bed sheet. And they, she's brought before Jesus to test Jesus and say, this woman committed adultery. What are you going to do to him? The Mosaic law says she shall be stoned to death. 
And Jesus looks at this woman and he looks at this crowd and he knows this is a trap. He knows that they're setting him up. But what Jesus also understands is this aspect of grace. So what Jesus says in that moment, he's just like, let anyone who has no sin in their lives cast the first stone. And in some ways, those people all of a sudden felt that Jesus knew everything that they were. That, they, that Jesus saw their sins, that Jesus saw every aspect of who they were, and then Jesus also saw the situation of the woman, and Jesus just poured a grace upon everybody. He covered every single person in that moment with grace. And he said, anyone that who has not sinned, cast the first stone. In that moment, Jesus was the only one that was able to cast the stone. Yet Jesus extended grace. And Jesus said to that woman, what? Go and sin no more. These are the stories that show us that grace brings freedom. That forgiveness comes, that we are not just physically here but healed, but we are also spiritually healed. That God doesn't just heal our physical being, that he also heals our soul. This leprous man that was healed is now able to be restored into his family. He's able to go back to his family. Jesus said, go to the priest, offer the sacrifices that is in the Mosaic laws. There's a Mosaic law for, for lepers. If they're clean, that there's this, these things that they have to do in Leviticus 14. And he said, go present that and then go be reunited with your family. Go back to your community. You are no longer exiled, that you are now part of a family. These are the stories that bring us to a place where we're able to live in freedom and not separation, that we relate to, that we're drawn to, that it is a story of grace that draws us to Jesus. For some of you that have been around this church for a while, you know my story a little. The choices that I've made, the trouble that I've gotten with the law, I'm not going to tell you all those stories again. If you want, we could sit down and have coffee. We could, t- we could talk about it then. But in my younger days, as I got in trouble with the law, my dad and my relationship, which was so strong as a kid, got broken. It got broken when my dad drove me to rehab, dropped me off and drove away. And as I watched my dad drive away, I said, he doesn't love me anymore. And for years, I carried that throughout my university years. I carried that aspect of I've disappointed my father. I've disappointed him to a place where he does not care for me. That my dad and I suffered in our relationship where we didn't even speak to each other for years. We couldn't speak to each other. We didn't know how to. And it took until after I graduated from university, after I got my job, left my job, went to seminary, came back from seminary, and we're talking like eight years right now, that finally one day I was able to go to my dad and just say, Dad, I just want to apologize for letting you down because I couldn't carry it anymore. And you know what my dad said to me? He said, you don't need to apologize to me because I let you down as a father. In that moment, I experienced his grace. But not only did I experience his grace, he experienced my grace. Because he said, 
I felt like I failed you as a father, that I can lead you in the right way, and that the results of me being an absent father led you down this road. And because I felt like a failure, I couldn't talk to you. I couldn't reach out to you. And as a son, I felt like it was my fault. And as, as father and son, we both felt like it was our own fault. And we couldn't talk to each other because of those things. But when grace is extended, grace adds on to grace. And God's love and mercy abounds in grace. And our relationship was restored. That's what happens when grace falls, is that relationship gets restored. That's what happens when grace falls, is that mercy and justice happens. It may not look like the way that we want it to look, but that's what happens. Some of us here may either have to experience grace or you need to extend grace. It could be that we're holding on to bitterness or resentment and you want to see justice play out. A couple of weeks ago, we had the Restored Conference here at the church when we brought Greg in. And in one of the talks, Greg talked to us about mental health and how mental health affects our physical health. And sometimes in our physical sickness, why we were sick physically is because we're holding on to something called unforgiveness. Generally, I feel like I've forgiven people in my life and that this isn't an area of struggle. But until I realize that I really do have unforgiveness in my heart. You see, it was that aspect, and what happened was this person's not around me anymore, so it's one of those things that, well, I don't see them, and so you don't think about it. Out of sight, out of mind. And what I realized is that there's something that happened between my relationship with this other individual is that it's created a lot of anger and resentment from me towards that person. I want to see justice, or at least my version of justice, made right. As I continue to do some more soul searching, I re realized that every time I thought of this person, I became angry. Every time I, I, I thought about this person, I became resentful. And so I said, okay, what I need to do is I need to forgive this person. This is only a couple weeks ago. And so I thought about it some more. And the reality is I don't want to let it go. I don't want to let it go because I don't want this person to get away with what they've done. But Ephesians 4 says this very clearly. It says, let go of bitterness and all resentment because it grieves the Holy Spirit. It doesn't allow the Holy Spirit to grow within you. It doesn't allow the Holy Spirit to, to bring in the fruits of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. All of that is quenched because unforgiveness and resentment grieves the Holy Spirit. And Paul goes on to say that these things will give the devil a foothold, and if we don't let these things go, it can go into other areas of our lives. So I said, it's not that I don't want to get rid of it and forgive but it doesn't feel fair. It doesn't seem fair if I do. So I struggled for, with it. And I actually struggled with this up until even as I was preparing for this sermon. I struggled with it. I shared it with my cell group a couple weeks ago that there's unforgiveness in my heart and I can't deal with it. And so even as I was 
preparing the sermon, I'm just like, this is something I need to let go even before I preach the sermon. But I didn't know how. I didn't know how to let it go because I'm just like, if I let this go, does it just go and vanish into the wind and some magical fairy will come and make me feel better? Is that how it works? No, that's not how it works. I can't just let it go like that. I can't just expect some magical fairy dust to make me feel better after I say I'm going to let it go. It's not a Disney story. It's not Frozen that she's singing, let it go. It's not that. So I struggled with it for weeks up until last night. I finally said I need to let it go. I can't let this weigh on me anymore. I can't let this thing continue in my life. I've carried it for years. So I gotta let it go. What helped me in breakthrough in my prayer time last night, and I hope this helps you, is what I thought letting go was and actually letting go is very different. But letting go for me is acknowledging that this is significant. That the offense that was brought up before me was significant. Because sometimes we say let it go and we just feel like, well, it, 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 was, it, it weighs so heavy on me. So I had to acknowledge first that this issue was significant. But I also had to come to a place where I say, I can't carry this weight anymore because it cuts so deeply and I can't go on like this it's been too many years so I gotta let God deal with this because I can't I feel like this I feel like justice should happen but that I see God's grace I see that God has been so gracious to me and that he's been so gracious to me throughout my entire life and that even the sins that I've brought on to other people, that God forgiven those sins. And so if God's been gracious to me, then I can be gracious towards people who have hurt me. But I don't think I have the grace to give. But God does. So God could handle this. I believe this is true because the more I think of what God has done for me, then I can believe that God will give me the grace to give to others because of what God has given me is greater than what I can give to others. This may be the same for you, where what someone has done to you can be so significant. They either owe you money or they owe you an apology or they owe you your marriage, or they owe you your career, they owe you your self-worth, they owe you your dignity, they owe you whatever it is. You have to trust and know that God's grace given to you is bigger than what you need to give them. For some of us, that might be a struggle with the church, and that the church may be a source of your hurt. But this is an area in which we need to give grace as well. Philip Yancey just wrote a new book, it's called Where the Light Fell. It's his memoir. And he talks about his life being brought up and how the church has hurt him. And if you know who Philip Yancey is, he's a very famous Christian author that has written many books in terms of our spiritual disciplines and how we are to, 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 to challenge the way that we live. 
But if you read this memoir, you're going to see that Philip Yancey himself actually has been the recipient of a lot of hurt and that actually all of his books that he wrote was about restructuring himself because he needed to reorder what the church has done against him. That the church was so against things that it was never for anything. And that he talks about how faith is often a cyclical process of order, disorder, and reorder. He, talks, he quotes St. Augustine, in which he also got the title of this book, saying, St. Augustine said, I couldn't look at the sun directly, but I could look at the places where the light fell. That is grace in finding the places in, the, in where the light falls, in places where you could worship. It's not about deconstruction. It's about reordering of things that's happened in your life. So some of us here today may, might be feeling, I, I can't get a handle on these things in my life today. I can't come to a place of understanding John, you don't know how much I hurt. You don't know how much I struggle. You don't know what is going on inside of me. I don't. That's the reality of it. And now I know this is hard. I know this is very hard. But this is foundational to the beliefs that you have as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ. This needs to be a part of the foundations of who you are. Grace is greater than what is done to you. Grace is greater than what you're going through. Grace is greater than your addiction. Grace is greater than your sickness and your flaws and your imperfection. It is greater than what others have inflicted on you. It is greater than the justice you seek or the power of people in, or, or the people in positions of power. Grace is the only thing that could hold you up. It is the only thing that could carry you and it will redeem you. Grace is greater than all of it, not because of anything that you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Because in Jesus, all things can be made new and all things are renewed. You may have been given up on grace, but grace has not given up on you. That is my challenge for you guys as a church today. For you to come to a place to understand that grace is throughout the entirety of this Bible. That even in the Old Testament that God found favor or grace with Noah. That God chose Abraham because he had grace on him. That David calls God gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. All of these things speak of the grace of God. The favor of God in your life. The gift of God in your life. So remember these things. Because church, as you remember the grace that is upon your life, you are required to give out that same grace to others. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for this gift that you have given us. We thank you that you have poured out your love through grace. Lord, that we 
we are in salvation because of your grace and, 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 and how you have sent your son Jesus as a representation of that grace. So Father God, speak to our hearts, speak to our spirits. We ask that you bring healing to our souls and our spirit. And Lord, may we see your grace abounding in our lives. So Lord, we thank you. We lift up our worship. We give you all our blessing. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is one of those words where you just want it to sink in deeply, like a plant that needs water, needs to drink deeply. John really shared his heart, shared some very personal things. But it illustrates that grace is not up here. It's not a concept. It's God moving in real time in our lives and intersects with the things that we walk through. His statement that grace needs to be experienced, that's the bullseye. Otherwise, God is just abstract. In one sense, this is a, a definition of revival. God experiencing the grace of God. He's not just on stained glass windows. He's not just a saying on a billboard or a bumper sticker. But you actually experience the grace of God. You experience the mercy of God. Mercy and grace are the twin towers of God's power. When you walk into this church, you're walking into a different arena. It's called God's house. It's called God's kingdom. The kingdom of God is here. There is a totally different atmosphere. There's a totally different value system. You go out there and it's hostile. You come in here and you are welcomed by the goodness of God. He loves you. He cares for you. He's going to pour out His grace on you. He is going to absolutely surprise you. He's going to take your breath away. You mean God is like this? Can you imagine what the leper felt when Jesus touched him? Maybe he had never been touched for years. Physical touch. We know the stories of babies that are left in orphanages, and if they're not held, they die because there's no physical touch. And in that moment, that leper experienced the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the power of God. How can you explain it but to experience it? Are you hungry for this? Is God just up here? Are you dry? Are you a dry riverbed? Is the river flowing in your life? God wants to get in there. He wants to irrigate you. He wants to be a mighty, rushing river. And the only way that can happen in a way that's in full color HD is if the Holy Spirit comes and touches you. Now note that the leper was desperate. The leper was destitute. Psalm 138.6 says, even though the Lord is exalted, even though he's the lawgiver, even though he's the judge and can extinguish us in a moment, like Pastor John was saying in the garden, that's it, Adam and Eve, just gone, vaporize you. Even though the Lord is exalted, Psalm 138 says, He has regard for the lowly. He has regard for you and for me. But if we're puffed up with pride and we don't think that we need any help, we don't need prayer, then the Lord will just quietly wait for you. He won't do anything. But when you say, you know what, I've got leprosy in my life. i got leprosy in my soul. There are things that are untouchable. I don't want anyone to see that. Don't do that. Just come, come to the prayer time. Yesterday I was watching my second online funeral in two weeks. 
this pastor that died, it was a pastor that died from COVID. And one of the pastors that got up to give a testimony about this pastor that died from COVID, he himself had COVID and recovered by a miraculous touch of God. Turns out this pastor that had COVID that recovered was a pastor from India. And you know, three months back, the headlines, just the ravages of COVID in India. They could not keep up with the death count. They were burning people and putting them into the center of a city because there was enough, not enough hospital beds. It was that desperate. They didn't have enough oxygen tanks and people were left for dying because they didn't have the essential hospital equipment. And this pastor was caught in that ravage and he was sitting in a hospital bed and he was dying and he did not want to die. He was very transparent. He said, God, I don't want to die. I am suffering right now. I can't breathe. Please help me. One o'clock in the morning, the door to his hospital room opened. And he's thinking, the doctors and nurses are not supposed to come in in the middle of the night. The doctor came in. He said, doctor, doctor, I, I'm suffering so much. Please help me. The doctor laid a hand on his back and he started to feel better. He goes, doctor, I, I'm fevering so badly. Please do something for my fever. The doctor touched him again. And he started to feel better. And then the doctor left. And he was like, you can't leave me here. And he literally got up out of his bed to chase the doctor. And as the doctor left the room, he went down and saw him in the hallway. And the doctor was in a white doctor's robe, but he had long hair. Doctor didn't say anything to him, didn't have a conversation with him, but he knew he had an encounter with God. The next morning, the doctor came to him and he said, were you the one that touched me last night? And the doctor, and, and he said, I, I'm healed. I can get up out of this bed. And the doctor said, stop. You're the 22nd person in this ward that was healed of COVID last night. Jesus went into that hospital. He went to the people that were dying and in the most desperate place. He went to India where they don't have maybe first class hospitals and vaccines and masks. He regards the lowly. He regards you and me. This is the kingdom of God. Jesus is attracted to you and me. Can he break through in your soul? Can he break through your reservation? Can he break through all your respectability to touch you? Can the grace of God fall on you? That's the first story, story that I've heard of mass healing, of the power of God and touching COVID patients. And it, isn't it just like Jesus to go to the most difficult place on earth in India where they're burning people? He walks into a ward and he heals 22 people. The doctor says, don't tell me. We've heard it 22 times. That's crazy. Is God alive and well? He is. He's alive and well. Like we did last week, we're going to have three prayer lines. We're going to ask the ministry team to come into the red carpet. For those of you that are upstairs, we ask you to come on down for these next couple weeks. We're going to have the elders at the red carpet. They'll be there with anointing oil, as it says in James 5. And I'm going to have Mimi have a special line. There were several, quite a few that came last week to receive prayer from her. She brought an anointing back 
from the North Georgia Revival meetings that we went to in Minneapolis. If you need a fresh touch, fresh encounter, let Mimi pray for you so that you can enter into the waters of intimacy and grace and His glory. God, you're opening up a well, but it starts with us opening up our hearts. And so God, we're, we want to walk in your freedom. We don't want to be so ashamed of our needs that we can't come to you and, and reach out to touch the hem of your garment. We want to press through the crowd and we want to say, oh, if I only touch you, Lord, because you're the only hope. You're the only one that can do it. I rebuke the devil that's coming against so many of us and oppressing us and chaining us and lying to us. Be gone in the name of Jesus Christ. We break the yoke. The reason why I pray that is because the Bible says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy, to dismantle the works of the enemy. There's going to be celebration and shouting and dancing in the streets when Jesus comes to dismantle all the works, all the curse that is in this city. As beautiful as it is, there's curses that are moving through our city that are taking people down, leading in, them in to deep darkness. We don't want that anymore, do we? We want Jesus to come and to reverse the curse. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, come. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You open up a faucet, you start the river flowing, and God's grace gets wider and wider. Father, we thank you for your love this morning. Thank you for your love this morning, oh God. It's being poured out, poured out. We receive, we receive your grace. We receive your mercy, oh God. We receive your mercy. There's some people in this room that are completely overwhelmed by loneliness. Oh, you've got the TV, you've got the internet, you've got your friends and your social media, but you are overwhelmed by loneliness. And I want you to come up and receive prayer this morning that that loneliness would be broken over you. You are not an orphan. There's some that have moved here to Vancouver from a different city, and part of the reason why you moved here is actually to run away from a situation or a problem. God doesn't want you to run away from that situation anymore. He wants you to release it and to get it right. Come this morning, just share your burden with someone at the, on the prayer team. Release it to God. You may have to go back and have some conversations and make it right with the situation that you ran away from. But coming to Vancouver was an escape for you, whereas God is inviting you to run into his arms. There are some of you that have been seeking healing. You've had chronic conditions. And the Lord says to seek his glory, to seek his glory because out of his glory, the healing will come. And so come for prayer and let your prayer request be, pray that the glory of God falls on my body. The glory of God will overwhelm the most difficult disease or ailment or sickness. Come and say, pray that the glory of God surges through my body. 
There's some of you that have been praying for salvations in your family, been praying for a long time. God says the breakthrough is close. Keep praying. Keep praying. And if you need just an extra dose of God's persistence and determination, come and just have the prayer team just pray for you that you have that extra last surge to pray through until you see your loved one saved. I hear the Lord saying that there's someone, God wants to give you the gift of faith. And out of that gift of faith is going to come miracles and healings. He wants to give you a gift of faith that we see operating in Jesus. If you are quickened to that, come this morning that you might be prayed for and that that gift of faith that is an expression of the Holy Spirit's ability, go up and receive prayer. There are some of you that are coming into a, a whole new dimension of prayer and intercession. In fact, the anger of the Lord has been coming on you and you haven't been sure about how to interpret it. But it's the anger of the Lord to come and to destroy unrighteousness. And if you are willing to be brought into that, that place of prayer in a deeper way, to come and receive prayer, that God would begin to expand and grow and deepen you in your prayer life and to understand the ways of the Holy Spirit before the throne of God. There are some of you here that have been battling fear of people, specifically the fear of people. There's fears of every kind under the sun, but specifically, you just fear people. God wants to release that from you and break it from you so that you have a social comfort, you have a freedom as you move around your day, you feel at ease. God wants to break the fear of people from you today. I have a picture of someone wearing a gold watch. The Lord says, your time is coming. Your time is coming. God's royal timing is coming upon you. But just wait patiently for it. And the thing about this watch is it will ring like a church bell. You're going to hear a ringing like in the city square when, when the church tower goes off. You're going to hear it and you're going to know the moment is here. The timing is right. Wait on the Lord for the wisdom and the timing of God. Thank you, God, that your fullness is coming to some of those in our church. And if you feel like that pertains to you, that God is putting the gold watch on your wrist, just go up for prayer and say, I want to agree with that. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is the tree of life. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your power. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We thank you, God. There's always a place in Father's house. There's always a place, God. You always welcome us. It's a place of acceptance, restoration, and healing. If this morning you've been touched by the love of God, whether you're online or in our building this morning, you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, and you feel the pull, then I want to invite you to become a child of God, to become a follower, passionate follower of Jesus, to forsake all and to run after him and to say, Lord, I surrender it all to you. 
I don't know what that looks like. I'm scared of what that looks like. But I just know that your love will keep me safe. And if that's in your heart and you want to become his child, then just pray a simple prayer in your heart and just say, I'm yours. I'm yours. If you prayed that prayer of surrender, please come and just tap me on the shoulder. Just grab me after the service so I can just rejoice with you and agree with you and help you in your new walk with God. Father, we thank you for your touch this morning. We thank you for the message. We thank you for your presence. We thank you, God, that you are here. And we ask, God, that you increase, you increase, you increase, oh God. Take this city by storm. It has to start someplace. Take it by storm, oh God. Put something fresh on us and put a new hunger in our hearts for you. We thank you. We bless you. We give you all the praise and glory because you're the God of all grace. We thank you now in your son's name. Amen.